Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I will be your host. Today I share the audio from a presentation on brewery financial best practices in uncertain times. So whether you're a startup brewery, an expansion, running an ongoing operation, the tools, resources, and strategies that are covered here will help you gain control over your financial results. And I'll also provide an overview of the financial programs and incentives that may be available for breweries to help during these difficult times. So for now, please enjoy the audio version of the presentation on brewery financial best practices in uncertain times. Hello and welcome to our presentation on brewery financial best practices in uncertain times. In this presentation, we're going to talk about financial planning best practices for breweries that you can use. So whether you're a startup brewery, you're an expansion, or you're running an ongoing operation, the tools, resources, and strategies that we're going to cover will help you gain some control over your financial results. And I'll also provide an overview of some of the financial programs and incentives that may be available for breweries to help during these difficult times. So one of the overarching themes in this presentation is going to be this idea of accelerated financial planning. So really budgeting, financial planning, it usually takes weeks or months in the traditional sense. It involves many people, uh, but now we don't have that kind of time. So we need to compress this into the planning cycle into hours or days. And we need tools that can be flexible, that are quick to update, easy to read and understand, so that we can present the new financial game plan. And the other theme that's going to run through this is to put a laser focus on cash and cash flows and have really tight controls. Because during these times, we're trying all sorts of different things, you know, relative to how do we maintain or grow sales. So there's lots of maybe product portfolio expansion. We're trying, you know, different different styles, different beverages, there's innovation, maybe we're trying some automation uh, in certain areas of our business, and those are all good things, but really without cash, without good cash flow and good tight controls, we are in big trouble. So we'll put a real emphasis on cash, and I'll give you some tools to monitor that. So if you have any questions, uh, you can hit me up via email, that's usually the best way, carry at beerbusinessfinance.com. I'm also happy to do a call. If you have a question that doesn't lend itself uh, to an email, just shoot me a message and we'll set up a mutually convenient time to talk. Uh, additional resources and materials to support the presentation today, you can go to craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. We've got all sorts of spreadsheets and models, uh, articles on these topics. So just head on over there and search for uh, the spreadsheet in question and you'll be able to find it there 
lots of free information. If there's something you're looking for you can't find, just shoot me a message. And the course deck that I'll cover today is available. Again, just shoot me an email and I will send it along to you. So this is me by way of quick introduction. My name is Kerry Shumway. I'm a CPA, a CFO, a numbers guy. I do love the numbers, love those spreadsheets. I spent 15 years as a CFO for a beer wholesaler, and I'm currently partner and CFO for Wormtown Brewery in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I founded craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com, and more recently, carriesfinancialtraining.com, uh, to really serve as a platform to share what I've learned with you guys so that uh, you can create a financially successful brewery. And hopefully this will save you time and money and shorten the learning curve by kind of compressing, you know, what I've learned uh, through through trial and error and uh, share it with you. So if you head over to craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com, you can sign up for the free brewery financial newsletter. There's also subscriptions to my premium training courses, which you can check out at both of these sites. And speaking of that, I have a new 2021 Brewery Financial Training Program uh, that is uh, here at carriesfinancialtraining.com. So if you head over there, you can see the full course outline. There's a short video. It kind of takes you inside the course and goes through all the topics. Uh, in a nutshell, there are five different modules covering various aspects of brewery finances. So we'll dig into brewery financial statements, what they should look like. We'll dig into the step-by-step -step process to create your, your brewery budget. Talk about common financial problems, how to identify them and fix them. So lots of good stuff there if you want to check that out. In total, there's five modules, and each module has a quiz. And at the end of the course itself, there's a final exam. Across those five modules, there are 40 video lessons and approximately eight hours of, of total instruction. And if you sign up for the course, you do get access to me for questions uh, that I, I look at every day, get lots of great feedback from folks that have taken the course. Um, so as you're taking it, you get stuck on anything or you just have a challenge uh, in your brewery, you have access to me when you sign up for that course. All right, so our presentation today, I want to cover these topics. We'll start with our cash flow, cash flow trackers, some cash management techniques that you can use. We'll dig into the key drivers of cash flow. So the first step is to identify you know, what are these key drivers and then how do I go about managing them. And the, the great part about this is once you understand what the drivers of cash flow are and you put some scorecards in place to track them, uh, once you improve these drivers, you will improve your cash flow. I'll share a three-step process that you can use to keep a laser focus on your cash, and then we'll dig into a flexible financial model, really a one-page budget that you can create quickly and update quickly as changes come at us. And then we'll wrap up with an overview of the financial stimulus programs. And I am by no means an expert in these. I know enough to know. Um, I've gone through these, filled out all the paperwork uh, for a number of these so I can share my experience. And then I will share some resources uh, that I lean on that you might want to check out too for, for the experts that can really dig into the details. So I'll give you some information on these 
and maybe some starting points. So as I said at the top, you know, the most important thing, there's lots of things we're focused on in our business. Strategic positioning, market share growth, innovation, and so on. But if we boil it down to one most important thing, if there's one message to take away from this presentation, one lesson that's going to make the most difference is that we need to be fanatical about cash flow. So financial management, cash flow management, these are systems, these are tools to achieve this one singular focus on cash. It's the one thing that's going to keep us in business. So especially during these times, we need to know where the flanks are, where we might be vulnerable, and we need to watch it like a hawk. So that's what we'll dig into next is how are we going to do that? So cash flow, what is it? Basically, you know, we, it's money that's coming into, money that's flowing out of our business. Uh, what cash flow is not and is often confused with, cash flow is not profit or loss. And the reason is we've got a difference between cash accounting and accrual accounting. This does happen a lot where we'll look at the income statement and we'll see that we'll have a profit and then we'll look at our bank account and see that we have no cash. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, it's primarily because there's a difference between how the income statement uh, reports our business transactions. Uh, and in a nutshell, the income statement does not measure cash, it measures transactions. So the income statement's measuring sales when they're earned, not when they're collected. It's measuring expenses when they're incurred and we have an obligation to pay them, not when we actually pay them. So we really need different tools. The income statement's a great tool for profit and loss, but it doesn't tell us anything about cash flow. So our traditional cash flow statement uh, might look something like this. And very often what I'll see for businesses is that this type of statement isn't produced very uh, often. And even when it's produced, it's it's not well understood. You know, it might be something the CPAs put together for you at the end of the year when they're compiling your, your financial statements. But in a nutshell, you know, it does have good information. You know, it breaks it. A traditional cash flow statement is going to show us kind of three chunks of cash. Where is money coming from and where is it going to? And at the bottom, you can see really the purpose of the cash flow statement is to tell us, you know, what was our cash at the beginning of a period and what is it at the end? Did it go up or down? And then where did that money come from and go to? So this breaks it into operating activities. Those are kind of our day-to-day sales and expense type transactions. It'll break it into investing activities, you know, if we were to buy, uh, purchase new equipment and so forth, and then financing activities, which would be things like borrowing money. So this is a good tool, and if you have it and you're using it, uh, fantastic. Uh, keep doing so. It's definitely part of uh, the big three of our uh, financial statements, the big three being income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flow. So in our income statement, you know, again, we're measuring sales, cost of goods, cost of goods sold, our gross profit or gross margin, and our operating expenses. Uh, the balance sheet is going to show us our assets, liabilities, and equity. That's assets, what we own, liabilities, what we owe, and equity, the difference between the two. And then our statement of cash flows, which again is measuring all cash all the time. The income statement and balance sheet are measuring transactions, statement of cash flows, measuring our cash. So one of the challenges with traditional financial statements and the statement of cash flows is that it is looking backwards. It's historical information. It's already happened. It's it's too late to do anything about it. Um, 
So we need some tools to look forward and to project and estimate what's going to happen so that we know what our financial position might look like down the road. Now down the road might be tomorrow, next week, next month, or for the balance of the year. Um, but I feel to monitor our cash flow on a real-time basis and project our cash flow, we can use these pieces of the cash flow puzzle and put them together and create a simple tool so that we can just keep a very close eye on cash. So first we just want to know about cash on hand, our line of credit availability, what access to capital might we have. So those are really the, the, the two big ones is what do we have for cash and what do we have for access to capital. That's going to keep us in business. We want to look at our accounts receivable, our AR balance, and really monitor the aging. That's essentially what are those uncollected sales out there, you know, and are they within credit terms, and how do we collect those faster? We're going to talk about and look at our accounts payable balance and monitor that aging. That's money that we owe to our vendors and suppliers. So we need to know these pieces so that we can really get our hands around all of the things that are going to impact cash flow uh, and be able to measure them. Upcoming payroll, you know, your weekly payroll, bi-weekly payroll, it's pretty, can be fairly um, predictable in terms of what, what those amounts are, or with a little bit of effort, we can figure out and estimate what the payroll is going to be. And then we want to watch any upcoming debt payments. So important to just get our hands around all of these pieces. Surprises are bad, especially with cash flow. And if we monitor these items, uh, that will help us avoid those surprises and really uh, predict what our cash position is going to be. So here's how I take those pieces of the cash flow puzzle and put them together into what I'll call a daily, weekly cash flow tracker. So it's really just a quick and simple version of the cash flow. This is not a substitute for a full-blown cash flow, but I like it because it gives me pieces of the cash flow puzzle that are relatively easy to get pulled together, and I find this useful for a short-term look at what our future cash balance is going to be. And when I mean short-term, it can be anywhere from a couple days to a couple of weeks. So in this example, what I do is I start with what's my current cash balance. Now, if you're using uh, QuickBooks or something like this and you're, you have a live look at your cash, you just go to QuickBooks, grab your cash balance there. If you don't have that, you can go to your online bank statement. Uh, online banking and, and grab the cash balance from there. So start with cash, and then we want to add in any available line of credit, any access to capital. So if you have a working capital line of credit uh, and you have funds available there, I would add that in here. We're really just trying to look at what is what's my cash picture look like right now. So in this example, I've got seventy-five thousand of cash, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of access to my line of credit. So 225000 is my total cash and access to capital as of today. Next, I want to add any expected money that I think is going to come in. And I do this by looking at deposits this week. So any accounts receivable collections that I expect to come in. So in this example, um, and I'll show you in a second how I do this, but basically I would review our accounts receivable aging report, and I would identify what my expected collections are going to be. Another way to do it is if you have some predictability uh, to what your cash receipts have been, you know, you can look historically and, and, and kind of identify that. 
So maybe Mondays or Tuesdays are typically large deposit days, cash coming in through through checks from either wholesalers or retailers. Um, and then you can um, input that number here. So in this example, I am projecting that I'm going to have deposits this week from AR collections of 75000 So that's money in. Next, I want to project my money out. And I'm going to look at these three ways that money is leaving my business. Accounts payable, payments on debt, and payroll. And I'm going to make some estimates on each of these. So payments to accounts payable or via accounts payable, I'm going to look at my accounts payable aging report. This is a listing of all the vendors and suppliers that I owe money to. And I'm going to make an estimate as to what my check run is going to look like this week or next. And I'm going to plug that in. So this example, I'm expecting to have AP money out of $65,000. Next, I'm going to look at payments on debt. So these might be my monthly or quarterly debt payments. And here I'm going to project uh, $10,000 coming up for payments on debt. And then for payroll, you know, I want to look historically what's my payroll been, if we made any changes, you know, when is the next payroll due. And here I'm going to estimate $25,000 for that. So for money out, I've got $65,000 in AP, $10,000 payments on debt, and $25,000 for payroll. I sum those up, and that's $100,000. So I started with 225000 of cash and access to capital. I'm going to add the money in from accounts receivable collections of seventy five, so that gives me three hundred. Then I'm going to subtract the expected money out from AP, payments on debt and payroll of $100, and that gives me a future cash balance of $200,000. Now that's future cash and access to capital. So in, in that quick exercise when I'm doing a couple things. One is I'm looking at all the key pieces of the cash flow puzzle that I can readily get my hands on. I'm pulling them together and I'm doing a, a quick estimate of what my near-term cash balance might look like. So what this can do is if we look at this and we say well over the course of the next week or two you know my cash is going to decline substantially. Well I know right now that I need to do some things and those things might include being more aggressive in collecting my accounts receivable. It might mean holding off on making some accounts payable. Uh, checks that might have to go out. Maybe I can negotiate with my vendors. It might mean a phone call to the bank, as unpleasant as that might be, relative to payments on debt. What can we do here? Um, so it's really just a tool to say, what's going on with cash? Let me make sure I'm watching it and have um, a way to identify if I'm going to have any issues. And it really, the the frequency of using a daily or weekly cash flow tracker just strengthens that cash flow muscle and makes this part of our, our routine. So panning back a bit, that's a very granular look at you know what's going on right now in the next week or two uh, with my pieces of the cash flow puzzle. Next I want to talk about the cash flow driver. So there's lots of things that can impact cash in our business, but they typically boil down to these five things. Accounts receivable, inventory, accounts payable, capital expenses, and our debt payments. So really the goal is to identify and improve in these areas and we're going to improve our cash flow. That's, that's the beauty of it. And each of these drivers can be measured using a key metric, a KPI, uh, and we can put those on a scorecard so we can monitor how we're doing, really just quantify how we're doing with each of these cash flow drivers. So some examples of scorecards you can use to measure your cash drivers 
For accounts receivable, we can use a metric called days sales outstanding. So here we're going to just compare how much do we have in accounts receivable relative to how much we should have in there based on our credit terms that we're extending. And I'll show you an example of that in a moment. Uh, for inventory, I like to measure days on hand. And this is really just kind of telling us what is our inventory compared to what it should be to meet market demand going forward. So how much do we have currently on hand? How much, how long does it take to produce new product, for example? Uh, and what are our forecasted sales? So making some comparisons there, this metric can really answer the question, do we have enough inventory? Do we have too much inventory? Next is our accounts payable and re really looking at days to pay. Uh, for this metric, we're comparing what's our kind of standard credit terms that our vendors and suppliers give us. You know, if they're giving us 30 days to pay, we want to make sure we're not paying too early, and that's what this ratio can do. And then for our capital uh, expenses, you know, our fixed asset purchases, we want to look at something called a return on investment. So it's not easy to quantify every purchase, but many we can. We can look at, you know, am I going to get a return on investing in the purchase of new kegs, for example. So I might compare them to, you know, leasing kegs compared to buying them. So I do a quick return on investment there to make that determination. And then lastly is a debt service coverage ratio to look at our loan payments and more specifically our loan payments in comparison to our cash flow. So debt service coverage ratio is really looking at how much money do we have coming in compared to how much money we have going out uh, to service that debt. So these are really five ways we can measure uh, those drivers. And once we measure them, we uh, have a chance to improve. So I want to dig in on a couple. First is our, our accounts receivable. And again, accounts receivable, that represents uh, uncollected sales. It's eventually going to be money in. And the measurement that we want to look at uh, is called days sales outstanding. And it works like this. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to divide our accounts receivable balance by our average daily sales. So what I like to do, you can do this at any time during the month. Typically, you do it at month end. So we'd grab the month end accounts receivable balance, and we would compute what our average daily sales were for that particular month. And then that's going to give us the key metric of what our day's sales outstanding is. And really what that means is how many days worth of sales is sitting uncollected in our accounts receivable. So in this example, I'll have an accounts receivable balance of $250,000. My average daily sales is $10,000. So I'm going to divide that average daily sales into the AR balance. So 10,000 divided into 250,000. And that gives me day's sales outstanding of 25. So in and of itself, that doesn't mean a whole lot. We have 25 days. We've sold product for the past 25 days, uh, and we haven't yet collected it. So what I want to do is compare that to the credit terms that we're extending to our customers. So do we give our customers 10 days to pay, uh, 14 days to pay, 30 days to pay? So 20, if we're computing 25 days of sales outstanding, we want to make sure that's that's in alignment with our credit terms. So if we're giving credit terms of 30 days and we have 25 days outstanding, we're doing pretty good. If our credit terms are 10 days and we have 25 days outstanding, 
uh, we know we have some issues and we need to dig into it. So this is a very high level uh, but useful calculation to see how, how efficiently we're collecting our money. Um, that is a good ratio um, and even better when you use it in combination with a review of your accounts receivable aging report. So this report is just a listing of all the customers that owe you money, how much they owe you, and how old uh, each particular invoice might be. So down the left-hand side, we're just li listing out our customers. Here I've just got retailer one, two, three, uh, right on down the line, and what each retail customer owes us, and then what the age of those invoices are. So a typical aging is going to have what we call buckets of uh, invoices. So for example, 0 to 30 days, indicating the age of the invoices, uh, 30 to 45 days, and so forth. And you can color code these and say, well, our credit terms are 30 days. So anything in the 0 to 30 days uh, aging bucket, anything, any invoice that's, you know, 30 days or under, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that too much right now. Maybe anything between 30 and 60 days, I'm getting concerned. I might need to make a phone call, an email, pay a visit to that account. And anything 60 days or older, you know, I might might highlight that in red and say, we've got to figure out what's going on here. Do we have a bad debt situation? Um, is that account still open? That happens a lot where all of a sudden an account's just closed. So monitoring the aging report, the accounts receivable aging report on a regular basis is one of the best ways you can identify and get ahead of any potential collection problems. And much like uh, many of our assets on the balance sheet, the accounts receivable really requires a lot of time and attention um, so that it, we don't have the issue of bad debts. Certainly slow paying accounts can hurt cash flow. No paying accounts are even worse. So the accounts receivable aging report is a great tool to get in front of that. Another cash flow driver and uh, example of, of how we can measure and, and use a scorecard here is, is on inventory. Inventory can include finished goods, work in process, raw materials. And the measurement we want to use here is something called days on hand. And it's going to answer the question for us is, you know, do we have the right amount of inventory? Because very often we'll say that we're like, man, I, I think I have too much or, you know, I'm running out. I guess I have too little. It's the goal of this would be to quantify what the right amount of inventory looks like. So for a days on hand calculation, what we're going to do is we're going to divide our inventory by our forecasted sales. So we're looking forward. What do we anticipate selling uh, in the days to come? And how does that compare to our inventory? So the math can look like this. And I'm going to use, uh, for simplicity, I'm going to, I'm going to use cases. So let's say we have 10,000 cases on hand, and we're forecasting that we're going to sell about 500 cases per day. So for me to figure out our inventory days on hand, I'm going to divide our daily forecasted sales, the 500, into the inventory that I've got on hand, the 10,000, and that's going to give me 20 days on hand. So as of right now, if I didn't produce another case of beer, I can sell for the next 20 days without running out of inventory. So again, that number doesn't mean much unless we compare it to a goal. And one of the goals might be how quickly can we replenish that inventory? You know, what's our, our cycle in terms of brewing and packaging beer, for example? And let's just say days on hand, our goal should be around 10 days. That gives us a cushion so that we don't run out, but it allows us 
uh, to replenish quickly enough. So if we feel like 10 days on hand is the right number, and we compute our days on hand to be 20, we've effectively got too much inventory. So 10 is the right number, more is too much, less is too little. So that's one of the, the benefits of the days on hand measurement for our inventory, and certainly how it relates to cash flow. Staying around our goal number uh, really just gives us a better opportunity to hang on to, to that cash longer. All right, so next I want to talk about a three-step system to manage your cash flow. And I should say that you know, I went over two of the five uh, cash flow drivers in some detail there. Um, you can go to craftburyfinancialtraining.com and read a little bit more about different ways to measure those other cash flow drivers. Alternatively, I dig into this in quite a bit of detail in the Brewery Financial Training course, which you can check out at carriesfinancialtraining.com. All right, so the three-step system to manage cash flow. Really, it goes like this. First is we want to find out how and where money leaves your business. Sounds simple, sounds obvious, but you might learn some things. And really, the name of the game is where is cash leaving and how do I do step number two, insert myself in between my money and my money leaving the business. So insert yourself into the money out process. And then third is reviewing our past spending and making adjustments as appropriate. And I'll dig into each of these. So the first step, find out where money is leaving your business. So we think about the usual suspects. We talked about accounts payable. You know, we, we owe money to vendors and suppliers. We pay that money out on a weekly or what bi-weekly basis. Uh, so that's that's a pretty obvious one. Who's in charge of accounts payable? That would be also important to know is what does that system look like? How frequently is it run? Who's in charge of it? If we need to make some changes to the process, uh, who who do we need to talk to and who are all the, the players that involved, are involved? It may be simple. It may be one person. It may be a little more complicated where you've got multiple people uh, making purchases. Next is manual checks. So accounts payable generally has a rhythm to it. It's something you might do uh, on a weekly basis. Manual checks might be a more one-off thing. Who's got the checkbook and who's writing those checks? Who's authorized to do that? What are our systems or controls over those manual checks? Um, so taking a look at that payroll weekly or bi-weekly that goes out. Uh, and the, the big one is ACH and EFT. These are automated transactions that are coming out of your bank account. Now, if you're not the one who reconciles your bank statements, you might not be aware of what automatic transactions are just pulling out of your bank account. So a quick review of your bank statement and understanding uh, what these automated withdrawals are, uh, you might find some things that uh, are surprising. So really, it's just to understand these are the four primary ways money is leaving your business. Uh, you want to also understand who's in charge of each of these. So if you've got an accounts payable person who also handles the manual checks, but you've got a separate payroll person, and then maybe another person who's reconciling the bank statements, we just want to understand uh, who's in charge of each of these areas. Uh, next, step number two, inserting yourself into this money out process. So just a couple of simple things you can do to really you know, get into the details of of what money is is leaving number one is just sign every check whether it's manual check accounts payable review every invoice 
you know, see what's going out and test your accounts payable process and procedures. Now, the prerequisite, I guess, to this question is that you have an AP process. Typically, what it would look like is we want to make sure that we're paying the right amounts to the right vendors for the right things that we received. So typically, an accounts payable process is going to include a good purchase order system. So when we buy things, we want to pre-approve them. We want to clearly identify the quantity of what we're buying um, and what it is that we're buying and at what price. So typically when we're reviewing the invoices, we want to not just review the invoice, but look at the purchase order. You know, was it approved? Does it specify what we were buying and how much? And does that agree with our packing slip? You know, did it actually come in? Did we receive this stuff? And does that quantity agree to the purchase order? And then lastly, the invoice, does that quantity agree to those other documents, purchase order, packing slip? And does that invoice cost agree to what we had approved on our purchase order? So we really want to make sure first, do I have those documents? Do I have the invoice? Do I have the purchase order? Do I have the packing slip to, to prove that I received it? And do they all agree? So as we're signing the checks and reviewing that, if we identify, hmm, I actually don't have a, a purchase order for this, I should have one, you know, that, that can be a breakdown in our process. And that's bad for cash flow. We don't like that. So sign every check, test the AP process, tighten up uh, where it might be needed. Third step is to review our past spending and make adjustments. In here, we will ask our good friend, the general ledger, uh, to help us out. So we'll run our general ledger report. We'll look at the transactions. And basically what this general ledger report is going to show us is all of the expenses that have been flowing through our business in the past. So what I like to do is I like to run the general ledger for the same time period last year. So say, for example, you know, we're in April. Uh, I want to run last April, May, maybe June, so that I can see what expenses might be coming up. Things that we incurred last year, it's possible that they're going to reoccur this year. And it gives you an opportunity to ask a question, you know, do I want that thing to, you know, is there something in here that I can, that I can cancel or that I can uh, reduce or defer? So it's really just kind of a, a window into what might be coming in the future in terms of cash that's leaving your business. So those are three steps uh, that you can use to manage your cash flow. Number one, on just understanding where money is leaving your business. Two, putting yourself squarely in between your money and that money departing. And three is to review your past spending and use the general ledger and make adjustments uh, to preserve that cash flow as best you can. So next I want to talk about a financial forecasting model. As I mentioned at the top, you know, we're at a, a stage right now where we really need accelerated financial planning. And we need tools that can help us achieve that. So flexible, quick to update, and simple to use. Uh, so we're going to be looking at pulling in our sales, our cost of goods sold, our margins, and our operating expenses. Uh, what you can do if you have a budget is to use that as a baseline. And then we can just make adjustments up or down depending on information that comes in. And I find this is useful not just for internal management purposes, but for the bank. They might be asking, you know, how are you doing and what are you projecting? Very uncertain times that we live in. Investors or ownership uh, will likely have these questions as well. 
So the pieces of the puzzle that we're going to pull together to create our financial forecasting model include many of the usual suspects. We're going to have a sales forecast of some kind. We're going to have a cost of goods sold uh, and margin plan. We're going to have our operating expenses plan, capital expenses, any fixed assets that we are planning to purchase, and then what our debt service requirements are. So debt service, debt are, represents loans. Debt service simply means the payments that we're going to make on those loans. So what obligations do we have? What requirements do we have? And we're going to make sure that we can meet those requirements uh, based on what our financial forecasting model is showing. So this download is available uh, at craftbrewerryfinancialtraining.com. Uh, you can search for financial forecasting model and you should be able to grab it. If you have any issues finding it, just shoot me an email, carry at beerbusinessfinance.com, and I'll get that over to you. So what I've created here is a simple reforecasting model. I'm going to show it to you in two slides, but it's really designed to be one page. And what it is is a compressed version of our income statement. So on the left-hand side, on this, on this slide, I'm going to be uh, pulling together my sales cost of goods sold, and margin projections. Across the top, I want to look at this on an annual basis, but I want to see every month, because each month might be different. You know, when you forecast a traditional annual budget, I mean, that's hard enough in normal times, but uh, in these times, we want to get more granular. So we want a monthly look, and then we're going to roll it up annually. So what I like to do, January through December in a total, uh, we're going to have a budget for each month, and then we're going to roll it up into a total annual, and it's going to move. So each month, I'm going to update as we move through the year with our actual numbers. So for example, January, February, March, and April, let's just say we've completed those months, uh, and then I'm going to forecast the balance of the year. So I want to plug in what actually occurred, and then I'm going to forecast what I believe is going to occur in the next month, and then for the, for the rest of the year. For our sales, we want to obviously look at each path to market. So if we're selling through wholesalers, self-distribution, and taproom, I want a separate line for each of those. And likewise for my cost of goods and our margin. Because what, as we've seen, ha happens is many of these revenue streams uh, can be severely limited uh, or dry up altogether when taprooms were closed, when on-premise businesses were restricted or closed. Obviously that's going to significantly impact uh, which how, what our sales look like through each of these channels. Now you can also look at this from an on-premise, off-premise uh, sales forecast scenario uh, whereby many breweries saw nice increases in their off-premise sales of packaged product and significant declines in on-premise. Uh, so that's that's a useful way to use this tool as well is to, is to do our sales forecasting by by market channel. So the next page we're just continuing the model and here we're going to layer in our OPEX, that's our operating expenses. And we're going to take the same approach. I want to input what's actually occurred. If I have months of the year that are actually in the books, type in actually what happened and then forecast the balance. I want to also compute something called, so when, when we do our sales, cost of goods and margins, then our operating expenses, that's going to give us our net income. What I want to do in addition here is compute something called EBITDA. That's our earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Now the E in EBITDA, earnings, 
is net income. So basically what I'm doing is I'm taking net income and I'm going to make some adjustments to it. I'm going to add back uh, certain aspects of our financials that are essentially uh, not considered sort of non-cash expenses so that we can arrive at this thing called EBITDA. Now EBITDA is important for a number of reasons, but for this purpose, this is something the bank is typically going to look at. They're going to say, what's your EBITDA? And how does that compare to your required debt service? And that's going to give us an indication as to whether we're meeting those debt service requirements. So I'm going to calculate net income. I'm going to calculate my EBITDA. And then I'm going to compare that on a monthly and annual basis to what my debt service is. Now when I do those things, I've got a, a rough look at my estimated cash flow from operations. It's not perfect. It's not a formal cash flow statement but it's going to be pretty good. It's going to show us what our net income is, what our EBITDA is, which is a, a, a form of modified cash flow, and then it's going to compare it to our debt service, that's money that's going out, and then give us an estimated cash flow for each month and then for the balance of the year. So again, one pager, quick and easy to update. One of the challenges with a traditional budget is we tend to spend a lot of time creating it and then we never update it when, when things change and things always change. Uh, these days, things are changing very rapidly every week and every month. So this is something that you can update on a regular basis, you know, whether you review it each month, you make any changes to your forward-looking forecast. Uh, it's pretty quick and easy to do that. So the other considerations here in your model is to model out different scenarios. So because it's relatively quick and easy to update, we can look at, you know, what's a best-case scenario? What's a worst-case scenario? What if... Uh, you know, on-premise shuts down again. What's that going to look like? Well, you create a, a one-pager for that. Well, what if everything reopens and everything's fine? Okay, create a best case for that. Plugging in your different variables, you know, what are operating expenses and payroll, what's that going to look like under those different scenarios? Um, a Brit, You know, it's good to have a goal with these two, you know, like what's the goal? You know, one goal could just be, you know, we're just trying to get to break even. No, I don't want to make, I, I, I know I, it's going to be hard to make money these days. I, don't, I just don't want to lose money. Another is cash flow neutral. You know, if our goal is, you know, we need to do whatever we can to create a plan so that we don't, you know, burn through our cash. So having those goals, modeling different scenarios can be a useful way uh, for this, uh, to use this tool as well. So as we move forward, we just, you know, we just watch the numbers. We want to monitor them. We're going to update as new information comes in. We're going to use that cash flow tracker. So daily weekly. I tend to, tend to update it once a week. Uh, once every other week is fine too, but really building that cash flow muscle. And then using these financial reforecasting tools on a maybe once or twice a month or once every other month, depending on uh, how your forecast is looking, how predictions are coming coming to pass. Watching obviously your sales trends, getting any news from customers and suppliers uh, legislative changes, anything that can inform uh, your financial plan, just, just watching that and baking that into your plan. So there's a lot of financial stimulus programs out there. As I said at the beginning, I am not an expert on these. I have um, participated in, done the paperwork for uh, all of these. I I'm, I'm, have a passing understanding, so I'm going to share these more as informational with you and then I'm going to give you some resources so you can talk to 
uh, the experts on these if you haven't done so already. Now, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, pretty much a household name these days, so I won't spend too much time on that. And we call it the PPP. Round one uh, was in uh, the April-May time frame of 2020. Round two uh, in the January to February 2021 time frame. Uh, so basically just a way to um, protect, as the, as the name implies, is to be able to retain your employees and use these funds uh, to cover the payroll. Now there's other uh, allowable expenses. So at this point, I suspect you've either applied for or received uh, the PPP round one and or two. So the name of the game next is uh, making sure that you can get forgiveness. So understanding the rules, you know, how do I track? I think that's a, that's a huge issue is simply keeping track of what you're spending, making sure you have good systems in place uh, so that you can document and substantiate that, yes, I, I received this money uh, and I've spent it on these allowable items and I can document that. So that if if that's questioned, uh, and so that you can create your 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 forgiveness application and get that all squared away. So really, the takeaway for PPP, um, as it relates to this bullet point, is having a good system uh, to uh, have all those invoices uh, well documented. Next is employer retention tax credit, the ERTC, otherwise known as the ERC, uh, for 2020 and for 20. 21. So there's lots of different rules around this, but in a nutshell, uh, for 2020, uh, and it's interesting too because legislatively the rules kind of keep changing. They did that on the, they changed on the payroll protection program as well. So that that makes it really important to have uh, good counsel on this and keep your keep your ear to the track because what you thought was the was the set of rules when you signed up for the PPP, they may make some modifications. So you just have to keep uh, keep in touch on what those rules are. So employer retention tax credit can be a huge benefit. Uh, I will simply say if you haven't looked into it, do yourself a favor and do it. Uh, it, it can be a very big benefit. So for 2020, uh, there's, there's two rules. One is rule number one is you'd have to have a 50% reduction in your gross receipts in order to qualify. But the more likely one is that you would have to be subject to a full or partial government shutdown. Now, those with tap rooms uh, almost certainly had uh, were impacted by that. So, if you if you meet that qualification, uh, then you can you may be eligible for the ERTC for 2020. Now, these are administered through either uh, an outside CPA or your payroll processing firm. So if you're using a firm like ADP or Paychex or any of these guys, uh, contacting them is really the first step. The way you get the credit back is by filing uh, your payroll tax returns, which are typically filed by a payroll provider. Uh, so your 941 forms and other tax forms to get it back. So the first step is, you know, do I qualify? And then quantifying the amount. For 2020, it's a 50% credit up to the first $10,000 of compensation for the year. So essentially $5,000 per employee that makes more than $10,000 for the year. In 2021, uh, the rules are a little bit different. Number, it, It's a 20% reduction to qualify, a 20% reduction in your gross receipts, 
or subject to a full or partial government shutdown order. Now, in 2021, you know, many on-premise tap rooms and so forth were subject to some sort of limitation or partial shutdown. Uh, so if you don't meet the 20% decline in your gross receipts, uh, but you do meet it because you were um, affected by the government shutdown, then you would likely qualify. But again, talk to the people that can can do the, the research for you and just nail that down. Now, the 2021 is, whereas 2020, that credit was essentially 5000 per employee max for the full year, 2021 is on a quarterly basis, and it's increased to $7,000 credit up to the first 10000 per quarter. So just as a simple example, if you're paying someone $10,000 a quarter, uh, there's an, a credit availability of up to $7,000 per employee per quarter. So these can add up really fast. The math can get kind of squirrely, too, so you got to get your hands around it. But bottom line, employer retention tax credit, a very big deal. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, get someone, you know, I, I would recommend starting with your CPA to do some calculations, make sure you meet the tests. And then lastly is the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, the RRF. So these are grants, they're tax exempt, um, and much like the PPP and the ERTC, there's lots of rules around how do you qualify, how do I do these calculations. In a nutshell, what they're doing is they're comparing your 2020 gross receipts to 2019 and whatever the decline was minus any of the PPP funds that you got, uh, you may be eligible for these grants. So look at your 2020 gross receipts compared to 2019. How much did it go down? How much money did you get from PPP? Subtract that out and then you may be eligible for the difference. So again, these are just three of the big ones. There's lots of um, of other uh, stimulus programs that are out there. Those those are the big ones. The, the resources that I look to and I would recommend, Brewers Association for sure. If you're a member, you go to Brewers Association, go to their government affairs section. They have a lot of uh, great resources to help explain this stuff. And the other is, and I'm referencing McLean Middleton. They're a law firm uh, locally here. They've got a coronavirus resource center, uh, which I've relied on. There's tons of um, information out there in the world. So I like to kind of find ones that, that, I, that I, you know, I find reputable or I know them, and I've gotten good, good guidance from both of these. So I would recommend checking those out and certainly working with your uh, CPA uh, on all of these stimulus programs. So I wanted to wrap up just by sharing uh, some feedback that I've received on the new 2021 Brewery Financial Training Program that's available at carriesfinancialtraining.com. Really some challenges and goals. I ask folks that enroll in the course, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this course? You know, why did you sign up? Or, you know, what's your biggest challenge right now? And how can I best help you? Because what I like to hear is, what are people struggling with? And then I can either direct them to, oh, I see, you know, I, I created content around that. Why don't you check this out? Or, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Let me create some content that's going to help get you an answer. So I really want to know challenges, what are you struggling with, goals, what do you hope to get out of it. And here are just a few. Uh, so one uh, student said, you know, our biggest challenge is getting raw material inventory right. And, you know, that goes back a little bit to what we talked about with the days on hand calculation and measuring that cash flow driver. So one thing I would think about there is 
you know, to get it right, what does that mean? Let's quantify it. You know, what do we have on hand right now? How does that compare to our forecasted sales? Another student said, you know, our debt load is what keeps me up at night. And I would say, yeah, you and me both. So one way you can sleep a little better is to do a debt service coverage calculation. And we cover that in the course, which is really what the bank is looking at. Like, what is your EBITDA? We talked about earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And how does that compare to your debt service, your monthly debt payments? What's that ratio look like? So the bank has got a formula there. Um, and doing that calculation can at least let you know, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We're in line. Or we've got some, we got some issues. We got to figure this out. So rather than just, you know, worrying about it, we can do some calculations. Another comment was our biggest challenge is managing labor. For sure, payroll is one of those expenses that can get away from you really fast. Uh, and one of the calculations I like to do is payroll percentage uh, related to sales. So I would peg it at historically what has our payroll been compared to sales. You can do it compared to margins as well. Uh, and then look at that, do that calculation. What is it now? Uh, what are we projecting it to be? So biggest challenge is managing labor, certainly managing staff. That's that's a whole separate whole separate deal. But managing the financial implications of payroll, um, just doing some simple calculations. Payroll is a percentage of sales or margins can help. Some other challenges and goals, you know, understanding the financials of a production brewery versus a brew pub, for sure. It's one of the things uh, I advocate for a lot is separating in your chart of accounts, in your financial statements, uh, the operations of your production brewery and your taproom so that you can see the relative profitability of each. Now, if you have a self-distribution operation, uh, separating those as well uh, so that we can see how we're doing. So understanding the financials really starts with you know, having a good system to separate and report on them so we can see how we're doing. Another goal was uh, to gain more insight into the true financial workings of a brewery. You know, and part of that is, is what we call financial literacy. That's just really understanding uh, the numbers of your business. You know, what are the numbers of your business? How do I get my hands around them so that when I understand those, I can help to improve financial results? So that, that financial literacy is where we start with that. And then lastly, understanding the target management metrics. So we do need those key metrics, those critical numbers, those KPIs. So really, you know, talking about what those are. And, you know, the first step is, you know, it's not usually one size fits all. I would argue that every brewery should be uh, understanding uh, what their gross margins are. And not just at a top level, but throughout your portfolio. What are your margins on your package product versus your uh, draft product? What are your margins on your flagship brand versus your seasonals versus your one-offs? So really, target management metrics could extend to almost anything. Uh, we can measure anything, uh, and sometimes we do, and we lose sight of what's truly important. So for starter, starting points is what is most important, uh, and then building metrics around those, and I would recommend uh, for for just about any brewer. I'm trying to think of an exception where, but margins, understanding your margins um, can be a, a really great way to improve your financial results. So to wrap up, give you some action items here. The cash flow trackers, again, cash is 
the most important. So we want to identify what your most important cash flow drivers are. You can choose from that list of five that I presented and use a cash flow tracker so that you can measure, monitor, and improve. And when you focus on these and you improve these cash flow drivers, you will improve the cash position in your business. Use or try out that three-step process to improve your cash position. So understanding how, where, and when cash is leaving your business, who's in charge of those, making sure you got good process and control around that cash. Uh, the purchase order system is very important uh, to really bring that control. And then lastly, using a flexible financial model so you can quickly update your financial plans. The one-page model, I think, can work uh, well for that. So I thank you for your time and attention. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about my financial training programs, you can visit carriesfinancialtraining.com. That's K-A-R-Y-S, carriesfinancialtraining.com. And you can check out all the courses there. Again, there's a short video. There's the detailed um, outline of the courses so you can see all of the content that is included. And I am offering for a short period of time a $100 discount off the training program if you use the code MBAA100. That's M as in Mary, B as in boy, AA100, MBAA100, all caps, at checkout. And that's the coupon code that will save you $100. And that's good through the end of April. So again, thanks very much for your time and attention. I hope this was useful for you. Uh, I've enjoyed bringing it to you. So for now, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.